podcast is brought to you by New Hope Baptist Church. For more information, visit the website newhope.net.au or follow us on social media. Welcome back to our series on 1 Peter, where we're taking one particular part of the text alongside of our sermon series called Life Together and reading the text and having a conversation. So this morning, uh, Lance is with me. So Lance, we're going to be looking at chapter one. We're still in chapter one. We finished with Alan at verse 12. And so we're going to pick up from verses 13 right to 25, which is kind of the second half of the first chapter. So just a little bit of a summary of where we've been. We talked a little bit about the context of the letter, who Peter is, who he's writing to, what some of the themes are that we see writ large in the the early part of chapter one. Um, So Peter begins by really inviting us to ground ourselves in that impermeable, um, you know, resource that we have in God. So he focuses our eyes on God and and the inheritance and the gift of salvation. And then he begins um, from verse 13. So where does Peter take us next? Yeah, I I think, Katrina, this is like the game plan of action. So he paints the bigger picture in the first half of chapter one and then gets into the practical ways that we can live our lives. And I think in particular, he's giving a bit of a game plan to these churches in this area around how to deal with persecution. So these are people suffering, they're being pushed, they're in some uncomfortable places for their faith. And he's saying, these are some of the things to focus on. And there's a lot in here, but I reckon there's four key things that he actually tries to ground it in practically. And that is hope, verse 13, he focuses on where you place your hope. Then he talks about holiness. Then he challenges these people to consider fear and what you're afraid of, where your fear is placed, and then lands with some some verses on, on love. And I think ultimately, Peter is challenging us to really check ourselves against the culture of our day and not just follow the, the common, everyday, normal practices that might feel easy and uh, I would naturally follow, but to check myself and say, well, what would God say about this? How does this actually connect into what I know of my, my faith? And uh, to be a people who are always being transformed through this journey. And we might land with it, but I think he sets up a great loop to just keep coming back to and keep doing this all throughout your life. So hope, holiness, fear, and love. Yep. Take us to the first one. What's he telling us about fear? Yep. Sorry, about, about hope. Uh, I really love that it says with alert and sober minds in the text that I've got. I think he says, you know, really carefully actually consider where your hope is placed. Uh, These are people who are suffering persecution. So it might seem something like an obvious thing that you should remember, you know, the reason why you're in this. But I think Peter's saying, unless you actually consider your hope in Jesus and know why you're in this, the whole thing's pointless. Like, Why bother being in here if you don't actually remember and know and keep reminding yourself of why uh, it is that you follow Jesus? And so I think for us, Uh, In our day today, we may not go through the same persecution that um, these people might be faced with. And therefore, I think that for us, there's a a challenge, there's a a pattern that we can fall into of apathy where we say, yes, my hope is in Jesus, but don't actually apply it to the challenges or the problems or the things I'm wrestling with in my life. The two become divorced. And I think this opening verse, verse 13, is challenging us with an alert and a sober mind actually think about how your hope in Jesus connects with the challenges 
that you're facing right now. And so therefore, what, what does that mean? What might need to change or adjust? Because there's no point following Jesus if your hope and your experiences aren't actually connected. Yeah, I, I love how he really positions hope as a discipline. Mm. So discipline yourself and, and um, before that, prepare your minds for action. Yeah. So this yep. isn't hope as kind of some wafty feeling um, yep. that comes upon you at different moments. This is about a conscious, intentional, disciplined process uh, in order to set your mind upon hope in preparation um, for action. So yep. it's, it's, that, it's a wonderful image. You want to know how to be prepared? Discipline yourself yep. to practice hope. Yep. It's really good because it's so easy to just keep rolling through the yep. mundane, every experiences of life. Yep. But I really agree. He's, he's challenging us. This is a discipline. You've got to actually force yourself to do it. Absolutely. <laughs> Gosh, I might have to do something. He then takes us to holiness. <laughs> yep. Talk to us about holiness. So this, this great um, concept of holiness um, that he, he challenges um, the people of the day with. And I really like that he says, you once were ignorant. So you chased an idea of what the good life was, but that was in ignorance. So now consider if you're no longer ignorant because you know Jesus, what does a good life look like? And, and the, you know, he says it's holiness. So what is holiness? I think he actually challenges these people to consider. And the thing that he lays out to them is, is be holy because God is holy. Be holy as I am holy is the scripture that he quotes referring to God. And I think it's a really powerful thing that he's challenging these people towards because it's not just about achieving a moralistic standard that if you live a certain way people will be impressed by you and they'll think oh Katrina I want to be like you because you're so holy realistically that's probably not going to if you're balancing up persecution and holiness I might just hide away if holiness is going to result in persecution I think what why he's focusing on this is because he's saying you are the presence of Jesus on this earth you as the church you are his image and people know God through how you live so be holy as he is holy. Whether or not people are attracted to that or not kind of isn't the point. I don't see in what he's saying. He, he's saying to them, this is part of your identity, your, your DNA. You no longer live in ignorance. You now know what holiness looks like because you know Jesus. So replicate that. Live in that. I think it's a powerful image that he's, he's writing to these, these people. Yeah, I, I love that, um, that reflection on holiness that draws us away from thinking about questions of purity, you know, yeah. of holiness and centering it, as you've said, on the character of God. So, you know, holiness is about um, the character of God being uh, reflected in our lives, uh, manifest the character of God, God's holiness. And I, th I think about holiness in terms of the word whole, as in, as in wholeness. Um, and, and that to me leads me to the place to think about integrity. D David White, a poet, has this wonderful line. He says that holiness is the centre that, that connects to all the peripheries. Mm. So holiness, you know, in, in, in the Christian context is about grounding in the, the centre and the heart of the character of God. And from that centre, yeah. everything else then can be held when yeah. we are holy as God is holy. That's good. It's really beautiful. So I was reflecting on this. What does it look like? Be holy as Jesus is holy. So you could grab a whole lot of things that Jesus is. But one in particular, given this letter is around and written to people who are suffering, looking at Jesus' suffering and the character of Jesus in suffering and what could these people take from that. And, and I think in Jesus, we see someone who is willing to suffer for the sake of another. Mm. So he doesn't say, oh, this suffering is going to be a bit hard, so I'll, I'll step out. But 
we should be a people and, and the people that Peter is writing to, I think he's saying you should be a people who are willing to suffer for the sake, for the good of another person. And you know, just really quickly, Katrina, reflecting on that, I, I was thinking about Acts 16 where Paul and Silas were in jail, arrested for their faith, beaten, flogged, all of that, and they're praying, I assume, to be released from prison and for this to, suffering to be taken away from them. And as they're praying, an earthquake, earthquake rocks the jail, the doors fling open, and clearly it would seem like God has answered their prayers. This is a God-given opportunity, a God-given right maybe, to walk <laughs> into freedom. But it would come at a cost to the jailer. For them to leave the prison, he would lose his life by execution the next day. And realising that there's a question for them there. What is holiness in this situation? Is it to take my God-given right (laughs) that God has put before me? Or is it to consider suffering for the sake of another? And so what they choose is to stay in suffering, not to walk into freedom, for the sake of this jailer. Tragically, he thinks my life's over rather than going through the embarrassment and the shame of execution, I'll end my life now. And they call out to him, say, we're still here. He is um, you know, saved, rescued, meets Jesus on that night. So does his family. And I think this is an image of what it looks like to pick up um, the character of Jesus to live in holiness. It's not just about what are my God-given rights necessarily, but what does suffering look like and how do I consider the, the sake and the, the, um, the health the well-being of another in my suffering. Mm. I need to consider that mm. as I do that. Which is connected to the question of whom shall I fear? So yeah. hope, yeah. holiness, and then the third thing you named yep. was fear. Yeah. Great stuff in here. And I really like that he pegs something about um, a father who judges each person's work impartially. Mm. So I think he's saying right here, just because you believe, just because you might be holy, remember God judges impartially. So what is it that's going to separate you from anyone else? It's got to be the story of how you live your life, um, not just about what you can achieve or aspire to or, or, or anything like that. And I think he's playing with some dynamics around power in this area because he then speaks about living as a foreigner in reverent fear. And it's a, it's a helpful image. Um, come with me in this, Katrina. But I think when you feel like you... This is your place. You own this place. There's a sense of responsibility and accountability and an ownership over that. But if you're a visitor, you're a foreigner, you probably are able to come in with more of an open hand and an open heart. And if there's things that's not good, you can probably say, well, that's their problem, not mine. (laughs) I won't be changed by that. And if we are to be a people who live as foreigners in this place, I think we don't need to fret and worry and stress over the things that may not necessarily be right, like we have to somehow wrestle power and ascendancy and fix it. I think we are simply a people here that are living in service and holiness and love, which we'll get to next. And if that's effective, that's effective in changing the narrative, but it's not mine to fix. I am a foreigner in this land and God has placed me here to be like a voice, just representing him and so I don't need to be personally tangled into the problems of the day um, and so I think it's a it's a it's a step of freedom for these people if they see themselves as foreigners uh, in the place and the context that they're in because I imagine if I was living in some totalitarian dictatorship 
it, it would be the secret police that I would fear. Yeah. It would be the military that I, it would be the powers that I would fear who have the capacity to take my life away and, and, um, and to, you know, do terrible things. And so actually, I, I like what you said there, that there's a freedom in understanding um, the right, you know, who to fear. Yeah. Yeah, in, in the midst of... And it's, it, I think he says, like, it's a reverent fear. Yes. So it's not, maybe not afraid. Yes. But a respect. Okay, this is how you all are. All right. Yes. And I'm going to manage my life in accordance to that rather than I need to fix all of that and fight rage against the machine to sort it out. Yes, and of course that's a really great point because the thing that one of the things that connects the idea of holiness to fear is the otherness of God. Mm. That we are not like God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we are creatures and there yeah. is a creator. And, um, and let's understand that distinction. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So so the last place he takes us to is love. Yep. And I in this place, he says, this is your highest calling. Love one another deeply and um, don't just pay lip service to it. Don't just like each other. Love each other. And it's just as true, the church now, all through history as it is to those people uh, that he's writing to in this context. And what I reckon he's saying here about love is that you are people who are not receiving love from your culture. You are people who are suffering and receiving scorn and hate and all sorts of things. So don't let that seep into your relationship with each other. Don't let the standards that are normal and, and the way that society around you lives and acts and especially towards you, don't let that seep into how you treat each other. But you are to deeply love one another. And through that, you are, you are people who are born again. There's a completely different way of life. So you don't need to let those things seep into to your way of interacting with each other. It just got me thinking about Christians on social media. <laughs> Don't yeah. engage with so, yeah. not on social media yeah. like you see some other people yeah. engaging. Because it's a real challenge. <laughs> like we, we're happy to love those that are like us. Yeah. We're happy to love those that are easy to love. But if we are a part of a global church, you know, and the church of Jesus, we're going to have to love when it's hard as well. And it's much easier, I think, today to replicate our culture, which is social media wars, naming, shaming, yeah. creating barriers and distances. It's a much harder thing mm. to live differently and, and love and not let the normal patterns of our day seep into how we mm. connect with one another. So Peter finishes this first chapter by pulling out an, a quote from yeah. Isaiah. Yeah. So tell us about yeah. that. I think what Peter is doing in this game plan is saying that this is a game plan that you don't just go through once and once you've completed this four-step process, you know, you're living the perfect life. I think he is wanting us and those he's writing to to see this is a loop. This is a journey that you go around again and again and again and you just keep walking this journey through all the seasons of your life. This little part from Isaiah that, that he quotes speaks about how you want to seek after power and popularity and worth and, and prestige. Well, all of those things that people seek after like people themselves are the flowers of the field. They will grow, be beautiful and fade and die in a day. And then it's, it's gone and they'll, they'll wither and fall in the field. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And I think he's reminding uh, this church and us today, consider where you're placing your hope. Consider the word of the Lord, which endures forever. And I think that directs us straight back to hope. The very first thing with a sober and um, open mind, look at your hope. And then walk through holiness, fear, love, and just keep walking this circle again and again and again. This is the way that we respond when we're suffering persecution, any form of suffering, any form of hardship. I think this is the pathway for faith, really. 
And then Peter, through the rest of this letter, is going to explore that yeah. further in more detail around some specific areas. Yeah. So what for you personally, Lance, really spoke to you from this section of scripture? Yeah. I feel like this is a great call to live with a humility towards transformation. But if I'm really going to live this cycle of these four steps, I'd have to have a humility that says there's actually something in each one of these steps every time I go through them in each season of my life. So rather than feeling like, yeah, I've got some things nailed, I know where, where I'm at, I think in, in each area there's some critical things around power, around your ideas of what a good life is, around the, the normal patterns of love in the culture around you to stop and reflect, okay, where right now is there something that might be out of step with Jesus, out of step with the hope that I'm claiming and saying is where my faith is, is placed? Um, where do I need to tweak that and align that a little bit more? Because for whatever reason, I'm a little bit out of step in my life at the moment. But what about for you, Katrina? Is there something that really grabs you in these couple of verses? Yeah, the verse that jumped out to me was the second half of verse 17. It says, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. And what connected with me about that is we often talk about the order of our loves in our lives. Yep. You know, we love many things yep. and many people. Um, and what is the, the, the order of those loves and the relationships between them? This made me think about the question of fear. What is the order of my fears? Um, what are the things I'm revering? What am yeah. I demonstrating revenance? Um, you know, what am I being reverent towards and, and how are those things ordered in my life? Um, so that was kind of, I thought, actually, that's really helpful mm. because if I can not just get my loves in the right order, I can also get my fears in the right order, that that's then really a very powerful directional force that helps me to clarify and therefore hold on to in the moment, yeah. which is often the challenge, yeah. the things that are really important. So I found that really practical. You know, whom shall I fear? What do I fear? Mm. Yeah. That's really good. That's good. Thank you so much, Lance. Thank you, Katrina. Well, thank you for reading along with us. We hope to see you in our next episode, Exploring One and One Peter Together.